Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Friends, welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. John Eldridge here with Craig McConnell. And we're going to interrupt this series that we've been doing on how did Jesus look at the world, uh, which we have been enjoying immensely and hope you have as well. We need to interrupt that because, as most of you probably know, Colorado Springs just went through a pretty massive crisis of the wildfire here. It's a story that affects Ransomed Heart, our homes, and we just needed to pause and talk about that and share some of the things that we experienced, things that we learned. Gosh, lessons we'd love to to share with you about the kingdom of God. And you're also probably wondering, hey, what happened uh, to those guys? Because we live on the west side of town and our offices, which we affectionately refer to as the outpost, is on the west side of town as well. And in fact, Half the Ransomed Heart staff was involved in evacuating their homes, and Mm -hmm. and the outpost was literally on the fire line that the city drew. And so we're going to interrupt probably this week and next, and we have a number of very dramatic God stories to share about the wildfire here in late June in Colorado Springs. And let me back up with a little context. Um, This might help. Last summer— I was reading Timothy Egan's book, The Big Burn. It's a book about one of the most devastating wildfires in the history of the United States. It took place in 1910, Montana, Idaho, and uh, a little bit of Wyoming, I think. But devastating, devastating wildfire. Anyway, um, Egan's book describes, you know, drought conditions, low snowpack winter, a very dry spring, and then a summer of record-breaking temperatures and dry winds all creating this, just this perfect storm for a, a really horrible wildfire. And that is exactly what happened here. I read the book last summer, but we had a very mild winter, very little snowpack. We had a very dry spring. And then as we were moving into April and May, we were sort of rejoicing over the wonderful warm weather. But the fact was we were in a drought and didn't really know it. And then June came and we had weeks of temperatures in the 90s, 100-degree days here, very, very unusual for Colorado. And then these dry winds kicked in and howling dry winds. And I I literally looked outside my porch. We backed to the National Forest, as Craig and Lori do, on the west side of town. And I thought, these are the exact same conditions that Egan describes in that book. And then mm-hmm. it happened. Mm-hmm. It happened. Holy cow, did it happen. Yeah. It started, uh, from my perspective, uh, it seemed so remote and there seemed to be so much mountain between the initial fire and our homes. Right. Um, though we were on mandatory evacuation, I just, uh, there was some part of me that thought, there's just no way a fire can cover that much territory. Right. Right. Well, there's actually a lot of humor in this story as well as as drama. And one is you shot a little video 
we posted it on our Facebook site saying, hey, yes, we can see smoke. It's at a distance. Nothing to worry about here. Well, I didn't say there's nothing to worry about, but that was my posture. I felt almost silly asking for prayer yeah. with this plume of smoke in the background. Right. And little did we know that later that day we'd be basically running for yeah. our lives with what we could grab. Right. So through the weekend, those of us on the west side were placed on various notices, pre-evacuation, voluntary evacuation. There were some mandatory areas and – McConnell's and Eldridge's happened to live in the same neighborhood area on the very, very west side of town against the forest. And But then it was a couple days of watching, praying, um, thank you for your prayers, yes. everybody. And then on Tuesday, I am sitting at my desk at the outpost and my windows look west. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon and I, I looked up from my computer and I saw flames coming down the last open slope between the mountains and Colorado Springs. And there hadn't been any change in the evacuation notices, but I looked at that and said, oh, it's Broken Arrow. Mm -hmm. This is out of control. So we all left. Everyone starts scrambling, you know, and from the time I left the outpost to the time I got to our house, I watched the fire come over three ridges down into one community and then into another and then into our neighborhoods. And, you know, by the time I got up to our house on Tuesday afternoon, about four thirty, five o'clock, I mean, smoke is swirling. It looks like it's late evening, uh, darkness coming in. The winds are howling. And that was part of what added to what became a very, very dramatic situation was we had between 60 and 100 mile an hour winds mm -hmm. blowing from west to east, you know, just exploding this fire. It went from 5,000 acres to 18,000 acres in moments. Yeah. And I've heard various reports of the fire traveled three miles in five minutes. Yes. So we rushed home. We, along with a number of other families in the Ransomed Heart team, you know, pack up, grab those few things, get the dog, get in the car. Yeah. Um, what were you thinking rushing home, John? Because it almost felt like you were racing the flames to get to your house. Well, you know, Craig, in order for our listeners to understand this story, we got to go back to Saturday because on Saturday, you and I were both placed on pre-evacuation notice and we needed to be at a wedding. You were officiating a wedding. Yeah of uh, our executive director, Brad's daughter, um, Bree, and uh, Brent Curtis's son, Drew Curtis. And, you know, there's this tension of, you know, do you leave the wedding, rush home, pack? We were getting ready to go to the wedding. Do we stay home? And, and Jesus spoke to both of us. Yeah. We didn't know this at the time, but what did he say? Um, when the fire broke out, Lori told me it was mandatory evacuation. Um, I just immediately, without even asking or turning a gun, just a flood of um, peace and God saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah. And uh, it was unmistakably God at that moment. This is Saturday, so you understand the chronology. This is three days before the fire absolutely blows up. But we're watching a massive plume from behind our houses and without perspective. I mean, it looks like it's the ridge behind us and it looks like a volcano yeah. is going off. But Stacy and I heard the same thing. We both turned to Christ on Saturday and said, Jesus, Jesus. 
and he said to both of us, you're going to be fine. Your house mm-hmm. will be fine. Don't worry about that. So we packed a few modest things. You know, we didn't yes. bring in a moving van and try and save all our furniture. You know, we grabbed some clothing and we grabbed photo albums of the boys and, you know, those few kind of precious keepsakes, uh, mostly family memorabilia. And I remember walking into my office. This was one of my interesting experiences. My office at home where I do my writing and I walked in and I looked at my books. I have a fairly large book collection and I looked at all of my just pieces of memorabilia over the years, uh, notes, journals from 30 years, you know, writing notes. You know, here's my creative life for the last 20 years. And I looked at it and just went, eh, (laughs) and walked back out the door, you know. There was a, a benevolent sense of, I'm just not married to this stuff, yeah. you know? Thank you, God, for what we have. But we packed a few things, and then they pulled us off mandatory evacuation. Right. So that was Saturday. We both heard that our homes are going to be fine. And then Sunday, you know, the drama continues. Monday and then Tuesday, to bring you into the story, was when that blow-up happened, and we're rushing home, and we're, you know, you're grabbing the dog and Lori and, and then... We evacuate for a number of days uh, to get out of the neighborhoods where the fire, you know, begins to just absolutely explode. And I think one of the things that was most startling to me was the fear Mm -hmm. and the panic that gripped this city. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't pretend yet to understand all the interplay of you know, the spiritual realm with the physical in this fire and what the enemy was doing. But I can guarantee you he jumped on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And we felt actually a pretty strong sense of peace. You know, we're in our cars. We're evacuating. We're stuck now in evacuation gridlock. I'm in one car. It's an old Land Cruiser without any air filter, air conditioning or anything. So the windows are down. The smoke's blowing in. I'm breathing through a, a wet rag I'm holding over my face. but. I felt at peace. I, you know, I never felt, you know, but oh my goodness, swirling around us as real as the smoke and wind was the fear that gripped this city for days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we took a, a different route out, but it was as you described. It was like driving through Halloween colors of oranges and blacks and the wind just blistering over the car with embers. And uh, um acquaintance of mine, a Vietnam combat vet, was sharing with me that it just brought back all his memories of napalm yeah. bombing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, for a moment there in that gridlock, I could just see all the potential for a disaster. Yeah. Hundreds of cars yeah. in a parking lot with right. flames or just yeah. engulfing them. Oh, in the direct line of the path of the fire. Yeah. In 100-mile-an-hour winds, which were just evil. Yeah. I mean, just that those winds at that moment blowing that direction, it was absolutely evil. And, yeah, so people were freaking out, panicking, driving down the wrong side of the road, yelling at each other, pets getting loose and just running through yeah. the neighborhoods. And, you know, you could just sense this this palpable fear. And as this is happening, we don't know it till later, but literally hundreds and hundreds of homes just 
a stone's throw away or just being consumed yes. in this firestorm. Yes. We were so locked up in gridlock. And what's happening is there's, you know, a few main arteries out of these neighborhoods to the west and they're trying to get everybody out of here. And, you know, they're evacuating tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's gridlock. I mean, it's when Craig describes a parking lot. I mean, we're literally just stuck on the road. We were three hours sitting in our cars waiting to get out, you know, watching in the rearview mirror smoke, flames, you know, and thinking that our homes are being destroyed That's at this moment. Three hours to cover what? Two miles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. With emergency vehicles racing by and kind of all of the drama of that. Mm-hmm. Craig, Jesus said, your home's going to be okay. Were you able to hang on to that? Um, For the first couple of days, yes. Then when the firestorm hit, we evacuate. Seeing the firestorm, seeing the immensity and intensity of the flames, and then the pictures on the local news coverage of houses just exploding and just fully engulfed. For one day, I'm just... How will our neighborhood survive that? Then you see the pictures of the fires progressing and moving even more closer to our neighborhood, John. You see the neighborhood it just burned through, and it's like a um, Hiroshima. It's like yes. a nuclear yes. devastation. Right. Um, I uh, I couldn't see how our home could survive. I just couldn't. Um, I took a, a drive on Wednesday. And the fire was just raging and the smoke coming out of our neighborhood and the the horrific winds. And the, at one point, I just um, – there was a, some part of me that just says, it's over. Yes. It's done. Yes. Our house is gone yes. and everything in it. Yes. Yeah, Stacy really hung on to it. I don't know that I did as well. I mean she really held on to Jesus said our home is going to be fine and I'm I'm holding on to that because what happens is we evacuate we go to some friends way out east mm-hmm. you know and then for 2 days the whole west side is engulfed in smoke and yeah. you know the fire crews are battling heroically to stop this thing and but you couldn't get you know genuine data you couldn't get reliable reports yet and everything's engulfed in smoke and so it's a really beautiful picture of God spoke you know, you're going to look at the data. Yeah. You're going to look at what seems to be the facts, um, or are you going to trust what he said? And um, there's so many lessons around yes. this. I, I know we're going to try and jam, you know, so much into a couple of podcasts here. But l- let me name a couple things. You know, one was hanging on to that, hang yeah. on, hanging on to what God says. You know, crisis loves to become the story, mm-hmm. and in this city, it really felt like crisis drama rushed into a story vacuum. And very quickly, people made this the larger story. I mean, if if you don't have a larger story, if you're not living in holding on to a larger story, let me tell you something. Fear, crisis, drama, worry, heartbreak, all of that loves to become the story. And it absolutely gripped the city. It was spiritual. You could mm-hmm. feel it. I woke up in the middle of the night on Wednesday night, you know, which was Tuesday firestorm, Wednesday absolute chaos and the fire just exploding further. And woke up in the middle of the night with just fear on my chest. And, and I said, you know, I don't think this is mine, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go to bed afraid. And so I brought the cross of Jesus Christ between me and the city. 
Mm-hmm. I brought the cross of Jesus Christ between me and the fear and emotion of other people. And as I prayed like that, I mean, honestly, in about five minutes, it left. Mm. And I was peaceful again and went back to sleep. And so, gang, just just to be aware of, you know, crisis loves to become the story. Drama, you know, whether it's in family systems or schools or churches or nations, you know, communities. And I'm thinking about the story of Jesus in the boat sleeping through the storm. I'm just so struck by that now, having been through a crisis and watching the difference. You know, the disciples looked at the immediate situation and they freaked. Mm -hmm. And people were freaking out. And I'm sorry to say Christians Mm -hmm. were freaking out. But Jesus, he's asleep. Mm -hmm. And you just want to go, is he insensitive? Is Christ hard-hearted? Is he just callous? Does he not know what's going on? Right. Or does he live in a different story? Mm -hmm. Does he know things that we need to know in order to hang on to? And yeah, so just a couple of thoughts. I mean, gang, your situation can either define you or you define it. And, you know, that one simple step of bringing the cross of Christ against the panic, the fear, the drama of the city— and just saying, no, no, that's not going to define us in the midst of the crisis, you know, smaller story, larger story. And I mean, you could watch the difference between people, you know, the way you respond to crisis reveals what story you're living in. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you live in the larger story. And it was just remarkable to watch that play itself out. Yeah. Um, let me tell a remarkable story of just larger story, smaller story. Um, God is always, always with us and he's always speaking and even preparing us for these things if we'll listen. Um, Tuesday at lunch, the day the fire blew up, prior to it blowing up, I was having lunch with uh, an ally of our ministry and a man who was present when Brent Curtis was killed in a climbing accident at our first men's event back in 1998. And we were both sharing our experience of being at the wedding that you did that weekend, Craig, that Saturday for uh, Brad and Lisa's daughter, Bree, and Brent and Jenny's son, Drew. So uh, the son of of Brent Curtis, and and we were watching just the incredible redemption after so much sorrow, after years of just heartbreak and suffering and loss. Here is this absolutely transcendent wedding of two beautiful people and, oh, just watching them dance together and the joy and the beauty and the larger story. And we got done with this lunch and we're sitting at Chipotle on on, uh, Garden of the Gods and And I looked at Vance and I said, what's God saying? We were quiet for a second. And then I felt like Jesus said, trust the larger story. That was at one o'clock on Tuesday. I walked outside of Chipotle. I looked west at the mountains. And that was the first time I saw actual flames and a bomber swoop in and drop the chemical retardant on it. I saw the battle lines. I had, we hadn't seen that yet. It had always been kind of obscured a few ridges back. And I thought, whoa, whoa, this is real. And, and so for Jesus to say at one o'clock on Tuesday, trust the larger story. And then days of 
drama and yes, fervent prayer. I mean, absolutely exhausting what crisis does to you and and then a city gripped in fear. And we're going to need to just keep right on going here. And so, friends, this will be a part one of a two-part podcast on our experience of the wildfire and and what God's uh, doing in the midst of that. So thanks for listening and join us again next week. 